0: Again from Job chapter 1. And I'll just give a short recap while you're turning there of last week. The point from last week and this week is the same point. And it's this. We ought to praise with a Godward heart and an open hand. So praise with a Godward heart and an open hand. Taking that from Job 1, verse 20 and 21. Then Job arose, and he tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So you can see there, praise with a Godward heart and an open hand. And last week we talked about the Godward heart, that Job saw everything that he had as not just something, but a gift from God. So he said, everything I ever had, that was from God. It wasn't just my circumstances in life. It wasn't my hard work. God actually was the one behind it all, the invisible hand, you know, running the world. And he's the one giving these things to me. And so apart from a Godward heart, we can't praise God. Because things are just things. People are just people. The things we have are just our possessions. But if the things we have, we have a Godward heart in, things aren't just things anymore. Things becomes gifts from God. Things become creations that a creator designed and made. People aren't just people. People are people that are made in the image of God and are brought into our life for a purpose. Circumstances are not just random chance, things going on in your life. Circumstances become, if we have a Godward heart, what God is doing today. And so you can see that when we have a Godward heart, we, we're thinking about God during the day. When we see the things going on around us in the world and we see God in it, it gives us an opportunity to praise God because we see Him in all the things going on. And so we have to have a Godward heart to have praise. If we don't, there's no praise to God. One way that we said it last week was trace the sunbeam back to the sun. The the sunbeam comes from the sun. But if all you do is look at the sunbeam, then you've missed the point. You need to trace the sunbeam back to the sun, back to God where it came from, and to give Him praise. So when we enjoy something, when something good comes into our life, when you drink your coffee before everybody else is up in the house and it's quiet, you don't just enjoy that and terminate it on yourself. Trace it back to God and say, God, thank you. Thank you, God. You're a good God. And so this week, we're moving on to an open hand. We're moving on to an open hand. But remember that the whole point of this is praise. It's not just a Godward heart in general. It's not just an open hand in general. It's to praise God. And we talked about how praise is such a big thing in the Bible. Praise glorifies God. Praise brings God near. When you praise God, He actually draws near to you. That's unbelievable. Praise is good and right. We ought to be praising God for what He's given us, for what He's doing, for what He's done, for what He will do. We should be praising God. It's the right thing to do. To not do it is ungrateful. Praise, according to the Bible, is the mark of a true Christian. That's what we looked at in Philippians 3. The truth, What's the true circumcision? What's a true Christian? Who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. you know two of the three are about praising and worshiping God. It's amazing, so we see that praise is a big part of the Christian life all over and over you know the the writers of the Bible had to cut out a lot, right They summarized a lot, but what makes it in a lot is praise. We see Paul and Silas in the prison praising God. We see job here praising God. And we see David over and over praising God. And you could go on through. Think about all the times in Genesis where they put those pillars up to remember, this is where God did this, and we're going to praise Him. And they named the place, the city, things about what God did, who God was. You know, over and over it's like, praise, praise, praise. And so, if it's such a big emphasis in the Bible, if Paul thinks from prison i better remind them they should always be giving thanks and they should always in every circumstance uh, be giving thanks to god and pray without ceasing and praise rejoice always if paul thought it was that important if god thought it was that important then we ought to think it's important and so here we are today We're going to look at the second half. We're not going to walk away from the Godward heart because that's part of it. But we're going to focus today on the open hand. The open hand. And so I'm going to try and describe what I mean by that, an open hand. You see it here in Job. Job. lost his whole family in one day and I I don't know how to do this but I would guess let me ask you this if I said that to you Job lost his whole family all his kids died in one day if your heart does not drop into your stomach and you feel like you can't hardly say anything because your throat's choked up then you don't have the reality because it's just a fact in your mind Job lost all his kids and possessions, and lots of other things going on. But his kids all died on one day. I found this story from the newspaper, and I don't even have the heart to read it to you, because it's so sad. Spurgeon says that he thinks, if you read the account of Job, it kind of makes it sound like his kids were feasting every day, all the time, but Spurgeon said he basically thought that It wasn't saying that, but that there were certain times of the year, maybe like their birthday or some other special time, where one of the sons would invite all the other brothers and sisters over, come to my house to celebrate, and whatever it was, whether it was a birthday or something else, that they feasted together, and I found this story of this birthday party where a child ends up dying, and it is so sad that I can't even read it to you. I mean, think about that. They're celebrating. And boom, gone. You know, they're all dead. It is so sad. And if I read you the story, I couldn't even read it and you'd be choked up. But just take my word for it. Just think about it. This is not just a fact. This is real people. And something horrible happened. And what what was Job's response? He worshipped God. That's amazing. I mean, when a tragedy happens to fall down on your knees and to say, God, you are a good God. You've given me all these good things. And now it's you that's taken them away. Blessed be your name. That is amazing. That's an open hand. And what it it is, is these things, if they've been given from God, then they are God's. Are they mine to hold? Do I get to decide when they come and when they go? If we have a Godward heart, we can have an open hand because it's God. It's God that's given them. It's God that designed them. It's God that made them. And we can say to God, God, this is yours. You get to decide. And there's a lot of things that happen in our lives. Sin comes in when we have a closed hand. When we say, okay, God, I get to decide what gifts come into my life. It's not up to you. I I." I demand this thing in my life. Well, that's, what do we call that? We, we call it envy, right? Whenever there's another person, they have a good gift, and you think, no, I need that too. I have to have that. And if I don't, I, I've got all these um, desires in my heart. Basically saying, not an open hand, not saying, God, bring what gifts you want into my life. You're saying, I want this over here. That's, that's envy, right? So when, when it's not God that gets to decide what gifts, when it's me, it's a closed hand. When when it's how much, we call that greed, right? God brings money into our life. Most of us have plenty of money to go to the grocery store, and you don't have to eat rice and beans every day. You get to decide what you know, I, I get to I get to eat meat if I want. You know, that's pretty amazing, really. But whenever you close your hand and decide not Let God decide how much of these different gifts into your life. When you get to decide, when you say it's my, it's my decision, we call that greed, right? I need more money. I need more of this. When, when we tell God, uh, how much or how many, it's greed. It's closing our hand. What about when? When we, when we say, God, this is when you need to bring this gift into my life. I can't wait. I have to have this now. Well, what does that lead to? It's sin, right? Stealing. That's what basically stealing is. It's here's this good thing. I can't wait for it. I've got to take it now. That's what fornication is. It's saying here's this thing that I think is good, and I can't wait for the proper time. I've got to take it now. It's mine now. It's sin. What about how the gifts come into our life? You know, sloth, laziness. There's so much in the Proverbs about sloth and laziness. But basically what it's saying is, I want the gifts in my life, and I want them how I want them. I want them apart from work. Uh, Drugs. A lot of times what drugs are is, I want to feel the way I feel if I worked for months training for a marathon, and then at the end I finish it and I feel awesome. I feel, I did it, you know. I made it through. I worked hard. I've been waiting for this moment. And you feel good. And drugs are... What people are seeking in drugs is that feeling. You know, that moment of exhilaration. But they don't want to uh, go through the normal process of life and wait for the times, you know, days when your kid is born or the days when you get married. They, They want it today. Whether they've worked, whether they've done anything... It's I'm gonna take this feeling. This is the this feeling that that sometimes God gives of euphoria, of feeling great, of feeling like you're on top of the clouds. I'm gonna. I've got to have that now and seizing it with your closed hand. So an open hand is to say, God. You get to decide what gifts. You get to decide how much. You get to decide when, and you get to decide how they come into my life. And not only that, you get to decide. If you take them away. Something I want you to notice though. Is this is not saying. That you don't have wants. An open hand is not saying you don't have any preferences or wants. Look at Job. He shaved his head. He fell on the ground. He tore his robe. What are those signs of? Deep sorrow right? Job wasn't saying, I'm indifferent. My I could have kids and they could die and it doesn't bother me. That's not what happened. Job was weeping, right? Tearing his clothes, crying out, and yet he still had an open hand. So it's not not having once, right? The example I'll give you is actually from Buddha. You know, Buddhism is basically saying the problem with the world is suffering, and if you want to escape suffering, just don't love anything. If if you don't love your clothes, then when they wear out, doesn't matter. If you don't love your wife, then when she leaves you, who cares? You don't. It doesn't bother you. And a, literally, Buddha, on the day his son was born, there's not a, a lot of the accounts are conflicting of Buddha's life, but one of them says that on the day his son was born, he just walked away, had nothing to do with his son for the rest of his life. Think about that. Sometimes when I talk to people that say they're Buddhists, I say, "Do you want that?" Is that If your dad was like that, and on the day you were born, he walked out of your life and said, I'm indifferent, I don't care whether I have a son or I don't, and walked out and never talked to you again, you're, you're wanting to be like that? That's the person you want to be? And they all say no. I mean, they don't say it like that, but it's clear, no, they don't want to be like that. But all that is to say this. An open hand is not being free from wants or loves. But it's submitting those to God. It's saying, God, I have this deep desire. God, I I want this thing. I want to be married. I want this. And it's hard. But God, I trust you. That's the open hand. So why? Why do we have to have an open hand to worship? Well, before we look in the Bible, I want to just read this short thing to you. It's just another... Way to talk about having an open hand the bible doesn't say in this passage an open hand i just i 'm trying to describe some an attitude of the heart to you with a visual type metaphor because it 's helpful to me and there 's a story from a missionary in India. Her name is Gladys, and she 's still alive as far as I know it 's a modern story. This is true. So I'll read you part of it now, and then I'll finish it later. But Gladys, it says, On a calm Thursday morning in January of 1999, Gladys was enjoying her time with the Lord and reading her daily devotional. The story for that day's reading was about a 12-year-old girl who was losing her sight. When the girl's pastor came to visit her in the hospital, she told him, Pastor, God is taking away my sight. For a while, the pastor remained silent, and then he said, "Jessie, don't let him take it. The girl was puzzled, and then the wise pastor continued, Give it to him, he said. The story struck a chord with Gladys, and she felt the Lord asking her whether she was willing to give up all that she loved, her husband, her children, all her possessions for him. As her heart wrestled with the question, tears rolled down her cheeks. See, not indifference. She had given her heart to Christ when she was 13, and from that day on she had tried to live solely for Him. She had held nothing back when she came to India. She and Graham, her husband, had poured out their lives in service. They run a leprosy camp in India. They had poured out their lives in service and sh- surrender. She thought she had given God everything, but in her heart she knew her temptation was to hold tightly On to the things and the dear ones she loved most. Finally she prayed, giving God the answer she knew he deserved. Yes, Lord Jesus, I am willing. Take all that I have for your use. My husband, my children, everything that I have. I surrender everything to you. She said, Amen. And she felt comfort of the Holy Spirit surrounding her as she remembered the story of Abraham's offering his son to Isaac his son Isaac, to God. She had no idea what lay ahead for her family, but she was confident God would be with them. So there, the way that author, um, Gracia Burnham, is telling this story, true story, it said that she let go of it, or the Indian girl, she didn't, God didn't take it, she gave it to him. See the willingness of heart there. It's not God's not ripping it out of your hand. Not, God's not take, taking it by force. You're saying, God, I have a preference, I have desires, but I'm willing, if you want this, you can have it, and I'll gladly give it to you. So that's my attempt at, at describing the open hand. Why is this something important if we want to praise God? I'm going to read you a story from 1 Kings here. You can turn there if you want to. 1 Kings 21 and if not, that's fine. Uh, I'm just going to read the first seven verses of 1 Kings 21. Now, Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value and money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house, vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my father's. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise, eat bread, let your heart be cheerful, and I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So why did I read that? Because it's a picture of a closed hand, and it's a picture of a closed hand, and it shows that if you close your hand on something, it will rob you of joy and praise for the other things in your life. So here's the king of a country, and what is he upset about? He's lying down in a palace with royal food and he cannot eat because he's so upset that he can't have one vineyard. You see how it robbed him of joy. It robbed him of actual... It's ungratefulness. It's wicked. It's wrong. But that's what he did. He closed his hand on one thing to where he could not... He wasn't going to praise God. He was wicked. But it's a good example to show that closing your hand robs you of joy and robs you of reality. And it doesn't just do it in one area. It'll it'll spread to the rest of your life. So let's think about us. Let's think about us. Is there ungratefulness or discontent that hinders praise in our life? And I thought I'd try to think of some examples. Um, let's imagine you get up, you have your plan for the day, you're on your way somewhere, and something interrupts your schedule. What's the response in your heart? You're stuck in traffic, or you try to turn downtown and that there's a street closed, or you try to drive to Jim Kelly's house and there's a huge cavern instead of a street. What do you do? Are you upset? Does that five minutes that it takes you to turn and go around, does that rob you of the fact that you are sitting in an air-conditioned motor vehicle that most people in the world could not afford under a sky that God made? Or do you think, man, I am so, I cannot believe I'm going to be late. I can't believe that they... Did this here. I can't believe this person is driving so slow. You see, what it is, is there's one thing that you have your mind set on, and it robs you of enjoyment of all the thousand blessings that you're in the middle of. And it doesn't have to be traffic. It could be a project you're working on. It seems like it never fails. If you're going to do something in your house... That there is something that is going to go wrong. And it's going to take you twice as long as you thought it was going to take you. And you have the opportunity there to either spend the rest of your day grumbling. Or to praise God. To look past it and to see all the blessings. And it depends on if you close your hand or not. Think about it. Think about how silly it is to close your hand on things. Five minutes and let it rob you of joy in God. It's silly. If if we have a right view, if we have a Godward heart, is that worth it? It's not worth it. It's so clear it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And you know what? It dishonors God. I'll give you another example. Do you spend time thinking about all the things you would do if you had more money. Think about that. What are you saying? You're saying that the time God has given me, what am I going to spend doing with it? I'm going to spend that time thinking about money that I don't have and all the good things that I don't have that I could do with it rather than actually enjoying all the things God has given me already. That's kind of scary. And there are people who spend their lives, I mean lives, thinking about these things. And all the meanwhile, they don't enjoy all the things they do have. I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be you. Is there, area, is there an area in your life where you can't praise God or you don't praise God for it? Is there any area in your life where you don't praise God, where you don't regularly praise God? whether it's your work, if you're in school, your school, your job, family. You know, a lot of times I'll pick on kids because it's easy in some ways to pick on kids because they're when you're a kid you don't have a lot of, how do I say it, subtlety. It's just obvious. You know, your desires and all these things, it's just that you wear them on your sleeve. And as you get older you hide it better basically But we still have the same thing. But a lot of times, if you can't praise God for something, it's really a symptom that you've got a closed hand back here on something else. So you, for me as a teacher, there's kids that are completely unable to praise God for school. They hate school. Every day, all they think about is what they could do if they got home. And what is it? What what's happened is they've got a closed hand on one thing. They've made one thing the main thing. And for a lot of them, it's video games. Video games, at my time, doing video games is what I'm going to think about. And I'm going to think about what I'm going to do when I get home. And I'm going to think about how much money that doesn't exist. I'm going to think about how much of it I've got. And they've closed their hands so tightly on this, they're making themselves miserable. And what they're doing is saying, this one thing is so important to me that I'm going to Uh, not enjoy the vast majority of my life because I've got my hand closed on this one thing. And they see school as time taken away from video games. And they see me calling home if they misbehave as time taken away from video games. And so it's this one thing that's robbing joy. And for us, we might have it. Can you praise God for your work? It might not be video games. It might be just free time. You, you're holding on to free time so much so that you don't see work as a blessing. You see work as something that takes away from your personal free time. Or it could be fa- family. There's people that, you know, the same thing. They don't enjoy the time with their family because they're so focused on something they could do when dinner's over or some other thing that they like to, to do more. And, and so it's not necessarily true that you have a, closed hand but it's something to ask yourself if there's an area in your life you can't praise God is there a closed hand in another area between now and the time you die you are going to have 10,000 interruptions and 10,000 inconveniences and every single one of those is going to say something about God in how you respond think about that that's unbelievable It's going to say, can God be trusted? Does God give good gifts? It says something about God and it affects your heart too. It can take your focus off God. Or it can put your focus back on God. I want for me and for you that these things, these interruptions, these inconveniences these things that God gives and then takes away to be a source of realigning our heart to God and giving things back to Him. Not holding on to them, but saying, God, these are yours and you can take them if you want. And saying, God can be trusted. God is completely able to take five minutes from me because He is a good God. And that's fine. And I can praise Him in it. And I can trust him in it. I want that for me and for you. You will be different. If you go to work and you're not grumbling about the meetings, you'll be different. If you say, I'm actually thankful for the paperwork and here's why, you'll be different. But it's not just little things like that that we have to open our hand, right? Job's kids died. See, that's, that's the hard thing. I feel like when I was thinking about praising God, all last week, just talking about praising God, in the back of my mind was, you've got to talk about trials. Why? It's they're so heavy. I mean, there's things going on in, in the church all the time. There's somebody under trial. And it's not just something where we can say, look at all the good gifts all around us and praise God all the time and we can't ignore all the difficult things that come into people's lives. Extremely heavy trials. What do you do then? Because there's things all the time where God is taking things as well as giving things. There's a thousand lives that you aren't living right now because God has taken the opportunity away from you. You're you're only going to have one job Or two, maybe. There's a thousand jobs you can't do. Because even if you went back to school, it would would take you maybe the rest of your life. There's a thousand people that you'll never meet. God is always closing the door on these things. He's always taking things away. There's very few of us here that can't, unless you're really young, you, you can just look back in your life and you can see it. But we've got to be able to praise God. And some of the things are difficult. You know, if you really think about this, if you're sitting at dinner and you think, one day only one of us is going to be left and, there, and all the rest are going to be buried. One of, it's going to happen to one of us. It's going to be me, It's going to be my wife or it's going to be my daughter. And one of us is going to live to see all the others buried. And that's the reality. We live in a sinful world. And so what I'm saying is this. When we talk about praising God, it's not some happy-go-lucky attitude. It's not just for people who are living some charmed life over here where everything seems to go well. It's for people when things are given by God and when things are taken away. And that's why we see this here in Job. So how do you get through it? How do you open your hand when it's such a heavy thing? How do you praise God? Well, I'll give you it in a sentence and then I'll give it to you in a story. You praise God because you are trusting a person. You praise God because you're opening your hand to a person. Not random chance, but a person, a person that loves you. That's how you can praise God. It's not by denying reality. It's not by saying, oh, it's okay that these bad things happen, or it's not hard. It's by looking at a person that's so good and that's so trustworthy that you can say, these are so hard. These things are very hard, but God is so good. And so I'll give you a story. And this is kind of about lost people, but it's the same idea. There was a guy on campus who I talked to and started talking to him, how, you know, are you right with God? And it was really tense. I mean, it was, you could tell, sometimes when you talk to people, there's an immediate, you know, barrier that goes up and there's this kind of argumentative, Upset type of thing going on, and I just said, "Hey, I'm I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm not trying to upset you. I, I really care about you, and I want to actually you know talk to you. I don't want to. I'm not trying to upset you. And I and the walls came down a little bit. And he said, basically, I can't turn to God because I was trying to follow God, and then my uncle died." And he was basically like my dad, and I can't trust God if he was good or if he loved me, this wouldn't have happened so basically, what he's saying is i can't I can't trust the God who lets these heavy trials come on me. I can't trust him, I can't believe that he loves me i can't I can't go back to him and this is basically what I said to him I said. Uh, It kind of reminds me of me and my dad. You know, a couple years ago, there was a house fire. This is all hypothetical, but this is what I told him. And I told him it was a story. There was a house fire. You know, I was in the upper room. Uh, Second story, my dad and my mom get out, and the house is in flames, and they realize I'm in there. My dad runs back in, puts me on his shoulders, I'm passed out because the smoke, he gets me out, but then he dies. And I can't trust him anymore. I can't trust him anymore. I can't believe that he loves me because in his will, he left the car to my brother, and I've got to have that. He knew I love it. I don't understand why he would take that from me. And I asked him, is that right? And he's like, no, that's wrong. And I said, how do you know it's wrong? He said, well, your dad died because he loved you. Yeah, that's right. But he denied me the car. And I think that he should have done that. Well, I don't know why he did that, but he definitely loved you. And I said, well, yeah, that's the point. And I said, you know, I told him, I think I told him beforehand that was just his story. And I said, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and for your uncle. And he said his uncle was a professing Christian. I said, are you going to say to God, I, God, I see that you died. You came down, you became a man, and you died on a cross for me. But you took these few years I would have had with my uncle. You took him away from me, so I can't trust you anymore. And he saw, I mean, he said, that makes sense. He said, if I could, if I could trust my dad who died to save me, I wouldn't worry about what he left me in his will. It's obvious He loves me if He died to save me. And it's the same with God. God has given you the most weighty, the most wonderful, the most obvious gift of His love, the death. He died for you on the cross. And if there's some lesser thing, even if it's hard, even if it's extremely hard, if there's some lesser thing that He takes from you, you can look back and know, I don't know why He's doing it, I don't understand it, but I do know that God loves me. Does that make sense to you? Do you see the connection there? If God died just the way the dad in the hypothetical story died for the son, it doesn't matter what he leaves him in his will. It doesn't. He's already shown. He's already proved himself trustworthy. And that's the same for you. It's the same for you and for me. The Bible says we have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Think about that. Every blessing, everything. What blessing could we want? The Bible says that we have every blessing. And so God's taking these things away. And He's leaving a lot of blessings. And it's not that these things aren't hard. I'm sure it was unbelievably hard for Job to lose all his kids. But Job could look and say, I know that my Redeemer lives. I mean, he knew that God was good. And he said, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. He's got an open hand because he's looking to a good God. If God gives you cancer, you've got to remember that he died to give you eternal life. If you lose a child, remember, God God lost a child. God sent His Son. He knows. If you want a spouse and you don't have one, or you have a spouse and it's difficult, God died to save your soul. And what I'm saying is you don't have to praise God for the trial. Okay? Job didn't praise God that his kids died. He didn't say, God praise you that my kids died. He praised God for who He was. And there's times when you're in the midst of the trial, that you can't look around and you can't praise God for the thing going on right now, but you can praise Him for who He is. That's a big difference. There's times, there's going to be times like that. And what it means is you actually have to know God yourself. If you don't know God, you're not going to be able to open your hand. If you don't believe God is good and you don't know it, actually experientially know it, you've given Him your sins, He's taken them all away, He's rescued your soul. If you don't know that, you're never going to be able to open your hand. Because when you look up, you don't see a good God there. You don't see a good God who's giving and taking away. You don't have the Godward heart. You've got to have that or or these trials in your life are going to be so difficult. They're going to be unbearably difficult. But just think, if you're lost here today, think about that story. I mean, think about meeting Jesus Christ on Judgment Day, seeing the love in His eyes, the holes in His hands and His feet, and saying to Him, I couldn't trust you with my X, Y, or Z. It it does not make sense. You're going to know when you see Him, that was an excuse. That wasn't real. If I thought, if I looked if I just looked to Jesus, looked to see what he was like, I would have known. He's he's trustworthy. He's good. He loves me. He died for me. He's worth opening my hand. Whatever it is I'm holding back. We know that God is out for our good. And so I'll give you another example. You are able to trust people that inflict pain upon you if you're convinced they're out for your good. And you do it. You do it to people. You do it to fallible people. And I'll give you an example. The vast majority of us, except for John Barry in this room, when we go to the doctor, we do not know what they're saying. Seriously. You, if you told me, well, this is what's going on and we need to do this, what they're actually saying is we are going to cut you open and we're going to take out an organ that you were born with, and it's going to be painful, but you need to do it for your good, what do we say? Okay, and we'll pay you to do it. (laughs) So here's the deal. What is that? It's kind of funny or whatever, but it's a serious example to say you have the ability to trust people, even that inflict pain even though it's a difficult thing. They're not saying, we're going to give you this patch and you're going to feel all better and it's going to feel great while it happens. They're saying it's going to be hard, it's going to be painful, but we have the ability to trust them because we really believe they're out for our good. If we can do that with a man, what about God? Why not God? That doctor sitting there in a white coat did not die for you. But Jesus Christ did. If you can trust the doctor, you can trust Jesus Christ. You have the ability. Look and see who He is. So you might have pain in your life brought on by not having enough money, not having a spouse you want, having a spouse that's not a believing spouse. Your health is taken. Your child is not an easy child to parent. You don't have as much time as you want. Your comfort is taken away. Your job, etc. A thousand things there might be. But trust God that He's out for your good and begin to look to Him. If you can't praise Him for what's going on, praise Him for who He is. Praise God. Praise with a Godward heart. So I'm going to try here in the last 15 minutes to put it all together. A Godward heart and an open hand. Praising with an open hand and a Godward heart. How do we do it? I'm just going to give you some day-to-day examples here. You wake up and you got a, a lot of great sleep. Praise God for it. Don't just take it for granted. Say, God, thank you so much that you gave me a soft bed to sleep on and you gave me seven hours, uninterrupted or interrupted. And when you wake up and your baby has been crying in the night and you hardly slept, praise God. Open your hand and say, God, I'd much prefer to sleep all night, but I trust you. I trust you. When you open up your Bible and you feel God near, praise Him. Praise Him that He's near. But listen close. This is really important. There are going to be days when you open up your Bible and you get down on your knees and God feels distant. And what you do at that moment can make or break your day. Because for me, this has been so big, this is probably the most helpful part of the sermon to me, is when I don't feel God, I tell Him, this is the new thing that I do, I say, God, I'd much rather feel your nearness. But God, thank you so much for all the times you have been near. Thank you, God. I've got your word here today. And even if I don't feel it, I know you love me. That's a that makes a big difference. That turns my day around and a lot of times brings the reality back. And I do feel his nearness, and sometimes I don't. But it changes everything to look off to open my hand and to say, these feelings aren't as important to me as the person. And I'm going to trust you. It is big. It's big. You know, it seems like the psalmist did that pretty often. Psalm one, uh, ten, one: Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself? And then by verse 16, he's saying, The Lord is king forever. He's praising God even though he doesn't feel his nearness. Psalm 22. Do not be far off. Do not be far off. And then later on he's saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. I will praise you. So he's, he's not feeling the nearness, but he's praising. I think all those psalms where he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Um, forget not all his benefits. I think when he's saying bless the Lord, he's saying, I don't feel it right now. That's why he's telling himself, bless the Lord. Praise the Lord. Don't forget how good he is. He's saying, I don't have the feeling, but I know I should. And so he's talking to himself. Psalm 46 says, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll give you another example. You're going through your day and there are people in here I believe that are warriors. So somebody goes out to the lake and the whole time you're thinking what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? You know what you could do? What if you just start opening all your hand on every single one of those scenarios that comes to your mind? Even if this horrible thing happened, God, I would just I would still trust you. Even if this happened, God, I'll still trust you. Even if this happened, God, I'll still trust you. And the worry, instead of weighing you down, it's actually strengthening your faith. You're actually, if that happens, you're going to have already given it to God. And if, you know, it doesn't happen, praise Him. Say, God, that's from you. I'll give you another one. What if you don't see results in the things you're doing at work? You're working, you're working, you're working, and you see no results. Are you only going to praise God when you see results? Are you going to be able to say, God, even though I don't see results right now, I would much rather see things being done, see things being changed. It feels like a waste of time. But God, you are good, and you're running my life. What about in all the things you're doing for God? You're trying to raise your kids, and you're homeschooling or not homeschooling. You're trying to discipline. You're trying to do these things. And there's going to be times maybe when you see results and you can praise God and there's going to be times when you don't see results. Are you going to get into despair? Are you going to say, God, seeing results, I would much rather have, but God, I'm going to open my hand I'm going to say, you're a good God. Thank you. Praise you, even when I don't see results. That's big. Your life and my life, I would guess, are not like where it's all the time. It seems like in his letters, miracle, 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 unbelievable providence. You know, And he's seeing the reality. But you, there's people, John the Baptist, I mean, think about the life of John the Baptist. It says he did no miracles. There's no miracles. Um, that's what they said about him. And then he dies in prison. I mean, it seems like his life was probably more like yours and my life, where there's not a lot of seeing. There was times, but it doesn't seem like it was a pattern for him. If that's your life, if that's what God has for you, are you going to be able to open your hand and say, God, I can trust you even if I don't see all the things going on. Even if I don't see what's being accomplished, I can trust you. It's big. It's helpful. If we can do it, if we can open our hand. Praise God when you see answered prayer. Praise God when he hasn't answered yet. We've got to be able to do both. All right. Well, I'm going to close by reading two examples here. One is a letter that Amy Carmichael received. And it's just a real-life person who opened their hand. They praise God. They praised with a Godward heart and an open hand. Here's here's what Amy Carmichael received in the mail. It's a little poem. I would not change one little jot of his dear will for me, but in my weakness I would go, entrusting my load of woe to him who walks with me. So Amy Carmichael received this poem from a leper who had no hands and wrote with a pen tied to his arm. So think about that. I wouldn't change one little jot of all your will for me. But I'm going to entrust my load of woe to him who walks with me. That's a perfect example. God had taken, right? This leper could say the same thing. God gives and God takes away, right? God took away his hands and I'm sure other parts of his body. His nose and these other things. And what did he say? I'm going to look to God. I trust. I'm looking to a person. And I'm saying, I'm giving it. I'm not holding on to it. I'm saying, God, this is yours. And I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to praise you. If he can do it with his hands, let's do it tomorrow in our lives with the little daily things that come in and go out. Last one. Last one. I'm going to finish the story from Gladys and some of you probably already familiar with this story and I'm not going to read the details cuz it's so sad. So basically what happened is a few days before she had this thing where god impressed upon her heart she felt like she needed to give these things to her to the lord her husband her children everything surrendered them to him and then she gets a call her husband and her have been missionaries in india they're from australia they run a leper ministry where they care for all these lepers and they the lepers live with them and his and her the husband had taken the two boys out into a village to minister to a group of christians And the village was mixed, it wasn't all Christians, and the others were upset because the Christians had been working on a holy day, basically an Indian holy day, and that started this conflict. And the conflict ended with them barricading the jeep. The the boys and the dad were sleeping in the jeep and burning them alive. And the mother gets the call, her daughter's there, They have one other daughter, and she finds out they're dead. Um, They've been burned alive in the Jeep. And this is what she says. Remember, she had just felt God telling her, you need to give these things to me. So this is what she says. There's reporters knocking on our door, which is the last thing you want in a tragedy. And this is what she says. Gladys Says this, I truly pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And I believe that all things work together for good for them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Surely through this incident, God is going to accomplish his eternal purpose. Praise be to his name. Just an example of a Godward heart and an open hand. That leads to praise. She had opened her hand even with these difficult things. Her sons, young, I think 10 and 6, and her husband. She said, I can trust the God who walks with me, basically. So let's pray and let's ask ourselves is there any area where I'm not praising God, is there anything I need to open my hand? If if I can see Job, if I can see Gladys, if I can see this leper praising you with these difficult trials, Lord, help me tomorrow to praise you with whatever you bring into my life, good or difficult. Lord, oh, this feels like such a heavy sermon and some, so sorrowful read all these things and stories I didn't even read Lord there's so many trials and we want to be able to praise you through them Lord we know that one day sin is going to be ended there's not going to be any more people martyred but Lord until we get there we want to be able to praise you Lord forgive us for ingratitude in our own hearts and lives Help us. We want to praise you every day until until we meet you face to face. Lord, I pray for the lost people here today. Please have mercy on the kids that do love video games more than you. Lord, have mercy on the people that are going through difficult trials. Would you be especially real and near? Lord, pray you'd help the people that wake up tomorrow and you don't feel as near as you have in the past. I pray you'd help them. Help them to praise you. You're a good God, Lord. We love you so much. If you weren't so good, we couldn't even hardly attempt it. But you are. You're very good. Thank you for dying. Thank you for becoming a man. Thank you for saving us when we didn't deserve be saved. Thank you for putting up with us and loving us and disciplining us as we're trying to walk with you. We give all these things to you, Lord. You're a good God. You're worthy of praise. Amen.